before we go into this spirit-filled life, there are some key ideas. Let me repeat again. For those of you who came late, the goal of the journey is, is holiness. I've said earlier, without the goal, we do not know what we are pursuing. For example, today, how do you know you are going to get into your car and drive a certain way or take MRT down to, to Queenstown? It's because you know you're coming to QBC, right? If not, you will take MRT to East Coast or drive towards there because you don't have a goal. So when we talk about the journey, the goal is holiness. And the presupposition of this journey is, is our identity. That something that we will not, cannot lose is who we are. If we forget who we are, then uh, as we pursue this spirit-filled life, you find that our holiness, you find discouraging. I mean, what if I fail? What's going to happen? And so I think Pastor Peter really talked about this triune identity, particularly being in Christ. When we're in Christ, because of what Jesus has done, the penalty of sin has been paid. Um, the power of sin has been broken. But what is left is the presence of sin. And we talk about it as, as the flesh. And so how do we overcome it? Fuel is the Holy Spirit. And then finally is, is our response. Alright, today I'm going to talk about response. What are we responsible for? But before we go there, we need to understand that the New Testament era is the era of the Holy Spirit. In Acts, after Pentecost, the Apostle Peter told the Jewish people that, um, you know, he quoted from the prophet Joel. Then last days, God will pour forth His Spirit. So it means the Jewish people at the time, they were waiting for this time. They were waiting for Messiah to come and Messiah is identified with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but when Messiah comes, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, before the ascension, He told His disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait for what? He said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And that happened at Pentecost. So, you can clearly see when Jesus says this, he is claiming that he is the Messiah, the one that comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we look at Old Testament, particularly when they talk about the New Covenant, in Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36. These are two passages you must remember. Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36. Go and read it. And it says that, you know, there will be this era of the New Covenant. The Holy Spirit will come in a different way. The law will not be written on stones, but written on hearts. And so if you look at 2 Corinthians and Paul talks about the church, he uses similar terms. So what we need to understand is this new covenant period is when the Holy Spirit comes. It's the era of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes on us and leaves, right? Like in Samson's case, he uses a person, after the task is accomplished, he leaves. But the new covenant, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells in us permanently. And it is the, this coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost that begins the church age. When we talk about the church, okay, can we advance? It's not moving. Uh, next one. Okay. In Matthew 16, when Jesus talks about the church, it is in future tense. The church will come and this is what I will do. In Acts 5, when they talk about church, it is, it is already a, a reality. Which means that somewhere between Matthew 16 and Acts 5, the church came into being. Right? In the Old, Old Testament times, whoever believes God, we, we call that a, we, they, are, they are people of God. But they are not considered the church. This, this body called the church began with the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And it is not forever. Because it's one day where the Holy Spirit will leave and then the end times begin. So, 
What I'm trying to show you is that a few things, before we even talk about spirit-filled life, is that the Old Testament prophesies that Messiah will come with the power of the Spirit. New Covenant is the, or the New Testament is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and on Pentecost, the church was formed. These are some background before we can even talk about the Spirit-filled life. So the Spirit comes and He does all these wonderful things, baptism, sealing, gifts, fruit, all this exciting stuff. We are going to talk about it in the next series, which is in May. Actually, in the first series, we are just talking about one aspect, which is the indwelling of the Spirit. Because of the Holy Spirit's indwelling, we have this adoption. We have intimacy with God. It's all because of the indwelling of the Spirit. Okay, so we leave all the juicy stuff later because that is what we tend to look at, the spectacular stuff. But if you look at the, the Bible, a huge part of the work of the Holy Spirit is not those things, but rather the indwelling work of the Spirit. So in Romans 8, we talked about it, right? We spent one whole month talking about it because of the Holy Spirit. We now have a new walk. The power of sin has been broken, but we live in the presence of sin. We call it the flesh. Yet we can choose the new walk because of the Spirit. Not only that, when you fall and you get discouraged, the, we have the adoption of the Holy Spirit. We will not lose our identity as a children of God. And then finally, meanwhile, as we are progressing in this life, the Spirit prays for us. Then Paul ends, Romans 8, right? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That is the book of the indwelling spirit. Now all these are good stuff, right? Then, question is, now what? How do we respond? Um, this is to show you the indwelling of the spirit. Paul says, when you believe the gospel, you're sealed with the spirit. And then later he says, you're sealed to the day of redemption. Which means that once the spirit comes, it's all the way to the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave you which means that we cannot lose our identity as a child of God. Now, if we study Scripture, there are only four passages in Scripture that are imperatives when it comes to the Holy Spirit. What I mean is that imperatives means it's a command, something you can respond to. Like, if I give you a command, right, I say, go read the Bible. It's a command because I expect you to respond. You have the responsibility and ability to do it, right? If not, there's no point in giving a command. When we look at the Holy Spirit, it's the same thing. We see all the wonderful things He's done, uh, like indwelling, sealing, all these are in past tense. It has already been done. It's done by the Holy Spirit. But there are these four passages in Scripture that actually says, now you can respond. There are commands. And God expects us to respond. And the four are these. Filled with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to grieve not the Spirit, and quench not the Spirit. Just these four, you know, of all the New Testament Bible that talks about the Holy Spirit, which is 400 verses, only these four verses are in imperatival form. Really interesting. So today, we'll spend a bulk of time studying them. You have them, all the passages in your, in your handout, so don't have the copy, and I don't have a lot of time. We talk about this. We are going to ask four questions. What is the context? What is the contrast? Concretely, what does it look like? And finally, what does it convey? So let's spend the next seven to ten minutes I want you to study the first two texts. Ephesians 5.18, that talks about the filling of the Holy Spirit, and Galatians 5.22, that talks about walking with the Spirit. We try to answer these four questions. Alright, then we'll come back and go through them. You know, sometimes we attend this sort of uh, series and we say, oh, this is like a second sermon, right? We one in the morning. Um, I also know, like, you know, I also, we also don't enjoy like, speaking twice. And then we, actually, our preference would be breaking into small classes so we can get to interact Unfortunately, it's not able. But I, as I talked about this field of the Spirit, I, I actually teach, taught one of the engaged classes, uh, the Chinese side of it, and 
I made them go through all the verses that talks about filled with the Holy Spirit. Last year in June, I went to Oxford and I took a course. Basically, we plucked out all 400 verses that talks about the Holy Spirit and we analyzed them. And it was so interesting, you know. Um, because a large part of my spiritual formation or my spiritual journey, uh, if you ask me several years ago, am I spirit-filled? I would tell you that I'm not sure. <laughs> because I've never thought myself in those terms. I mean, I know about all the work of the Holy Spirit and everything, but, you know, I never thought in those categories. But, you know, when I look at the scripture, you see that the Holy Spirit is everywhere. In fact, I realize you cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. We cannot live our daily Christian lives without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It is the indwelling of the Spirit that gives us all these good stuff. And so it's a matter of just realizing and, and recategorizing. This is strange. Can we go back? Yes, the Holy Spirit wants to move forward. <laughs> um, yes. Okay, and okay, if you look at all the verses that talks about filled with the Spirit, which is actually 10 to 15 only, you come to this conclusion, there's this short term, which is for service. You see that preach the word, prophesy, perform miracles, you have strength to face death and temptations. And the long term, which is for sanctification. Your character, joy, unity. And so the filled, to be filled with the Spirit, there are two purposes. For service, for sanctification. We can be empowered for service within a short time. I believe Jesus today and then the next moment, the next day, I go and share the gospel. I'm empowered. I'm filled with the Spirit. But I cannot become sanctified instantly. I cannot, today I believe tomorrow I'm a mature Christian. That doesn't work. So when we talk about filled with the Spirit, it covers at least these two areas. Short term, long term. Let's look at the text, the context. Context is important. What is the context of Ephesians 5? In the book of Ephesians, as usual, Paul spends the first half talking about theology, the second half, chapter 4 to 6, about application. And so what is the book of Ephesians about? The church, unity. Unity between uh, Gentiles and Jews. The truth of the Spirit of God, we, we form this new body called the, the church. And the second half of the book of Ephesians, chapter 4 to 6, there's this word that repeats itself five times. That is, walk. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Then later, walk wisely, walk in love. And using this word, walk, Paul develops five ideas of how do we achieve unity. So the overarching idea is to walk in a manner of worthy of a calling. You're called through the gospel to form the church and we are to walk as such. So, you see, understanding the context is important. When it comes to chapter 5, it says, don't be, be careful of how you walk now as unwise but as wise. How? See the participle? Making, which is, means it subordinates under the main idea. How do we walk not as wise and not as unwise? By making most of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. So? So then, you see, you ask all the questions, it links, right? All the conjunctions are important. Making most because so do not be foolish, but understand the will of God. How do I understand the will of God? Verse 18. The next verse after 17 is 18, right? 16, 17, 18. 18 is, do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So you see, we say, oh, I'm filled with the Spirit. You know, I can perform all this wonderful stuff. But if the way we use our spiritual gifts cause division within the body, that is not the feeling of Holy Spirit. Because remember, the context is unity of the church, right? 
He says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And immediately Paul talks about the church is a body of Christ, you know, and you have all these gifts to build each other up. And that is the purpose of spiritual gifts. So if we have spiritual gifts, we claim to have them, then it must add to edify and build up the church. Otherwise, we are abusing the gifts of the Spirit. That's the far context. The immediate context talks about not being foolish, knowing that the times are short, and so be, do not be drunk on wine. So there's a contrast there. What's the contrast? Well, we're drunk on wine, we let loose, we're controlled by spirits, or are we controlled by the spirit? Now this verse, we have talked about it so many times, so I don't think I need to go into it, right? Um, the idea is that which one are you controlled by? Are you controlled by spirits or spirit? Concretely, what does it look like? Paul uses several participles to show us what does it mean to be filled with spirit. And if you summarize all 19, 20, 21, it is worship, joy, gratitude, relationships. Obviously, this is not exhaustive. But when you say you're filled with the spirit, these are what you have. You cannot be pulling a long face and say, I'm filled with the spirit. That's, that's my favorite mode, okay? Cannot, okay? You have joy and uh, it needs to show. Uh, gratitude. If you're filled with the spirit, we cannot be you know, always lamenting about what we don't have. And finally, relationships, the church, mutual submission. And so if we claim to be filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, then it must show up in our relationships. You cannot say, I love God, but I stay at home and worship God online myself. No, because when we're saved, the Spirit baptizes us into this body called the church. You cannot say that I love God, but you know, I don't love you. That doesn't work. So this is, Concretely, what we see to be filled with the Spirit. So what does it mean? First, it's an imperative, which means that we can respond. That's our responsibility. Second, is passive. Strangely, we need to respond, but yet we need the Spirit to do something, so it's passive. So present, continual tense. Present tense means, ah. That's continual, right? Or, ah, 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 ah. That's continual too. So in Greek, when it's present, continual tense, it can be one long stretch or iterative, which is repeated. Why is this important? It means that when we seek to be filled with the Spirit, it is not like oh, every day I put on my halo and I look so spiritual, you know? No, sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I stumble, sometimes I sin, but it's okay because the command is to iteratively continue to pursue and not one whole continuous tense. So, for instant empowerment for service, but no instant sanctification. Ultimately, it means that we yield control to the Spirit. And we've said this many times, it's not how much we have of the Holy Spirit. We already have 100%. It's how much the Holy Spirit has of us. And I often like to repeat this story about D.L. Moody, the famous preacher. Once they were, this church was considering who they should invite as a speaker, and someone says, why don't we invite Moody? And the young man replied, he said, why do we always have to invite him? Does, does Moody monopolize the Holy Spirit? You mean everybody else don't have Holy Spirit, man? And then someone replied, said, no. Nobody can monopolize the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit monopolizes Moody. It is how much of ourselves we are willing to yield to the Spirit that determines the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that look like? See, the next three imperatives falls under this to help us understand the Holy Spirit. This is important. Okay, so you're filled with the Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit, you cannot grieve the Holy Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit, you cannot quench the Holy Spirit. 
If you feel the Holy Spirit, you must be walking in the Holy Spirit. And that is why there's some overlap in terms of meaning, especially when we look at walk in the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. So what is filled with the Spirit? You're walking in the Spirit, you're grieving not the Spirit, you're quenching not the Spirit. So we go to Galatians 5 when we talk about walk in the Spirit. The second imperative with regards to the Holy Spirit. Okay, what is the context? Today we study the book of Galatians and you know it's about the Gospel. The Gospel gives us freedom. Freedom from legalism. And what do we use this freedom for? Paul says, chapter 5 verse 1, your freedom in Christ, use this liberty for love and not for license. Don't um, indulge in your flesh. So there's the contrast. You walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So it's either or. Either you're walking in the Spirit or you're walking in the flesh. Which is it? Remember when we talked about this in Romans 8, we say we have the flesh. In all our lives, we have one voice inside, it's the flesh. And suddenly now there's another voice, the Spirit. Which one do we listen to? And I always remember when my daughter was five years old, she said, one day she was throwing a tantrum and said, what's going on? She says, I have two voices inside me. One tell me to do bad things, one tell me to do good things. I thought, oh, well, this is so theological, how am I going to explain, you know? So I said, so which voice do you listen? She said, the bad one, ah. <laughs> but you think about it, you know, all our lives we only have the flesh. Every time we want, whatever we want to do, we go according to our will, our self. And suddenly, when you become a Christian, you have another voice. Which voice will you listen to? It depends on which one you feed, which one you indulge in, right? So Billy Graham once told this story. He said that, you know, this fisherman has two dogs, one gray and one white. Every Saturday, he brings them to the market and let them fight and he collects bets. So sometimes the white one wins, sometimes the black one wins, but he always wins. So someone asked him, how do you know which dog will win? He said, ah, easy. It depends on which one I feed. During the week, he feeds the, the, the black one, the black one grows strong. Or he feeds the white one and the white one grows strong. And so similarly, if you think about the two voices, which voice do we feed? Do we feed our flesh or do we feed the spirit? Do we read the word of God and try to internalize it? Or do we spend our time just thinking about our own desires and wills and what have you? So how do we walk in the spirit? It gives us this idea of the two voices that Paul tells us. And yet when you fall and discourage, remember, remember that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption and that is something you never lose. And that's why Paul ends Romans 8 by that passage. He says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. That is why we continue to pursue holiness. Concretely, it talks about the deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. And so what does it mean that we deliberately choose to follow and depend on the Spirit and not in flesh? See, we are saved by grace through faith. And we are kept by grace through faith. But God has given us the responsibility to respond, to pursue holiness. Following the Spirit is like this, you know. Before I became a Christian, I felt like I've done a lot of bad stuff. So, you know, every Sunday when I book up, when I'm free, I'll go and learn sign language, you know, to, to get to know and help people who, with needs. And through that, I met some uh, visually impaired people. And so they taught us when we brought them out to parks for walk, right? It says to hold their elbows, right? 
So do not push them, you just hold them and uh, make sure when they move, you're there to support them. But sometimes, you know, to avoid things, you need to gently nudge them. And I think that's how the Holy Spirit works in us. He wants us to take the first step. He's not going to push unless something really special needs to happen, okay? Sometimes it happens, but most of the time when we say we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit is there to nudge us, to support us, but we will take the first steps. And so, God has made provision for our holiness, but He has given us the responsibility. What is the difference between being feel, filled and walking? It says, we yield to the Spirit to be filled, but we walk to maintain the filling. We allow the Spirit to control us, but to do it continuously, we need to make the choice to depend on the Spirit. We can pray to God as we face temptations, God, mortify me. Spirit of God, help me. We can use uh, accountability, different ways, or taking time, um, abiding in Christ daily. We go from appointment to appointment, take time to pray, to remind ourselves of God. In our business, we can take time off to slow down and reflect. So there are all these means of grace that I won't talk about today, but there are ways that we continue to be aware of the Spirit's working, and so we allow, we maintain the filling of the Spirit by walking with Him. Now, the other two negative aspects of the Holy Spirit being filled with the Spirit, let's spend the next five to seven minutes looking at them. Okay, they're just two short verses, so spend some time talking to the person beside you. All right. Now, what's the context of grieving not the Spirit? Basically, in the book of Ephesians, it says the whole idea is the unity of the church. And then the near context, chapter 4, 17, 32, it begins like that. Do not walk like the Gentiles. That's the former way you live. And then Paul goes on to talk about to put off the old and put on the new. And so you notice that this is a recurring model. He says, do not do this. Instead, do this and the reason for it. Okay, that's verse 25 to 32. So, do not let unwholesome words come out, but words that are edifying. Why? So that you give grace to those who hear. And so for a list, a few of the commandments where, or, or commands that Paul gives, it follows this model. Do not do this, but instead do this because. And it falls under what we said earlier, that, that do not walk like Gentiles. And the bigger picture is the unity of the church. So if you see verse 29, is like that. Verse 30, he goes on. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom? And so grieving the Holy Spirit becomes part of this breaking of relationship, particularly the using of words. You see the contrast? And so when we use words to hurt, we are not just hurting one another, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. The contrast is this, and so it's contrast against words that edify concretely. It talks about unwholesome words, particularly broken relationships. So the meaning really is when you talk about grieving the Holy Spirit, is breaking the unity of the body, particularly when you use words to hurt one another. You know, there was this time when I came back from, a, I was still in the States, right? I came back from a trip, and then oh, I opened my email. It's this whole long list of emails. And you know, after you go on holiday, it comes back. This whole list of emails and, and never reply emails when you're tired because I reached back about 1 a.m. in the morning. I looked at it and I saw this email from the head of the diaconate, right? And I went, what? How can you say such a thing? 
And so being a keyboard warrior, I went I pressed send. The moment, moment I hit send, I regretted. I said, like, oh, why did I do that? So my wife was beside. Angelically, she said, Sila, I told you to wait, you don't wait. So I was waiting for them to respond. You know, one day, two days, one week, two weeks, nothing. Now being a Chinese church, those Taiwanese and China, China people, they, they are nice, right? They don't talk. Nobody confronted me, but behind the scene, there was this huge thing going on. You know, the one person tells another person, another person tells another person. Soon, the whole church knows about it, except me. So I thought, oh, did I get away with it? So eventually, I looked up the deacon chair. I apologized, and he also repented of what he wrote uh, because I felt he was still wrong, but, you know, I still had to apologize. The problem is we have reconciled, all right? But there's so many other people who have heard what happened they didn't know what happened after because, you know, they won't go spreading. Gossips are like that. You say, hey, he did this, this bad thing, but when he did a good thing, you won't, hey, you know, he actually did something good. No, nobody spreads that. So, you know, there's 100 people out there that didn't know that I've reconciled with the person that I've harmed and I didn't know they know. So what happens? They thought, wow, this pastor, why like that one, you know? And it hurts the unity of the church. Now, what happened was, I, I realized that, you know, I'm not just hurting this person, even though I disagreed with his comments. But this broken relationship, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. And so we realize that when we look at church, it's not that we cannot think critically or cannot disagree. It's fine to disagree. Disagreements never break up the unity of the church. Right? But it's when we're unwilling to forgive one another. That is the problem. That's why scripture tells us that we need to confess. We need to reconcile. Otherwise, you harbor this hurt or this anger for a long time and you're not just hurting yourself with that person, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. Quench not the Holy Spirit. What's the context? First Thessalonians talks about rapture of the church. We know that the church will be raptured. Well, while we're waiting for it, what now? How do we live as Christians harmoniously as the body of Christ? And so the near context um, despising prophetic utterances, the far context, while waiting for Jesus to return, how shall we live? If you look at the part, this chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul will give us a series of commands of how we should respond and behave as a church. And he says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. It follows after all the thanks, you must be thankful and all that. But 20 says, do not despise prophetic utterances. Now, at that time, the Bible was not complete. So prophetic utterances were important. God gives revelation, it becomes part of the Word of God. Okay? But you examine what is good. Good you do, no good you don't do. Essentially, he's saying this, okay? Now, how about today? We already have the Word of God. What about, what do we make of prophetic utterances? Well, a big part of God's revelation, we believe, is from the Word of God. But I think our church's position is that we do not just dismiss people who claim to have an insight from God. Now, there are certain, certain guidelines if you want to know, I think the next series we'll talk about it. That's all in the blue book, okay? But right now, we are just looking at this text. The text says, don't quench the spirit, but also don't despise. So what should you do? Examine lah. Good one you follow, no good you don't follow. Simple, right? I didn't make it up, it's right there, okay? Contrast, concretely, says how you examine everything carefully, hold fast to good, abstain from evil. So, what does it mean? It emphasizes relationship with God. I need to surrender to God's revelation. When we're talking about grieving the Holy Spirit, it's really uh, human relations, right? When, we break, when this break, breaks down, we grieve the Holy Spirit. 
But when you talk about quenching the Spirit of God, it is a vertical relationship. Correct? It's different from quenching. Uh, it's different from grieving. It's not between you and me, it's between me and God. And so, there's a need to resolve, to surrender to God's revelation, whether it's a word or prompting. And so, grieving pertains to horizontal relationships and quenching pertains to vertical relationships. You know, there's this Christmas where I drove out with another family to another state. Um, and we wanted to visit, uh, we were by the state, we, we know about this popular church there, you know, where Chris Tomlins leads worship. Because, you know, our young adults will come back from their, the, their college and say, hey, why we don't worship like Chris Tomlin? And I just smiled. <laughs> I was thinking, if I'm like him, I wouldn't be here, you know. <laughs> but anyway, we, we went through that city, so we went to visit, right? It's a mega church. But when we drove into the, the car park, it's like in the parking lot, it was empty. So we went online and found, said, oh, they are worshipping at homes. Okay, so there's nobody. So, Alamak, what are we going to do, right? So, my friend quickly tell me, hey, why don't we worship ourselves by the lake? You preach, I lead worship. I was thinking, yeah, right. And I'm holiday and then now I still need to work. And I was thinking about this. Suddenly, another vehicle pulled in. It was this young lady with two small girls. And then my wife came up with this wonderful idea. She said, hey, why don't we invite them to join us? And my heart was screaming, no! You know, I'm on vacation now. I need to preach and then I still need to put on my halo. No! But I was trying to shake my head, suddenly my muscles went to spasm and began, and not, uh, it was the spirit of God that caused the spasm, I said yes, no, I'm just kidding, actually I, I felt, I felt like, although I, did, I didn't want it, but I felt like I should, I don't know why, it's like, ah, okay, okay, then even though I really didn't want it, so she went over to us and I was in my car looking, I was thinking, uh, trying to read the body language, I was praying, God said no, 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 but she nodded her head, so she turns out that, um, she was bringing her, she's out of state. Every holiday, she goes back to her house and she brings her two little sisters to church for worship. So we walked down to the lake and thought, what am I going to preach? So I just, the last message I recall, you know, something about God's sovereignty and I did that. I just preached. And after that, um, you know, she shared, she said that actually her parents are going through divorce and they're going through a, a time when they're asking, why is God allowing this? And he ministered to them. The friend I went with, his wife, um, before they left for the trip, discovered she had a tumour. And so after the trip, they were going to check it out. They were wrestling with this question about God's sovereignty. And at a point in time, so were we. See, what I was trying, I'm trying to say is that uh, sometimes I didn't even know what was happening, but God knows. The Spirit of God prompts us. depends on how do we respond. Another time I shared with you before about a guy who comes to my congregation, a Mexican guy, so he's, he, shut, he stood out like a sore thumb amidst all the other Chinese people. So I met up with him the first time. And the second time we met up in a restaurant, you know, there were all this noise and smell and I was waiting for him. And when I saw him walking into the restaurant, I felt I should share the gospel with him. Well, I know the word of God reveals that we should share the gospel and this is opportunity. But again, I didn't want. See, oh, this is the second time I meet him, you know. What if he doesn't like me and then he doesn't come to church? Why don't I leave it for his best friend who brought him to church? You know, they're so good relationship. But again, it's the conviction and I know that the word of God says we should. And so when he sat down, after all the nice things I said, I just drew that gospel thing on, on the tissue paper, right? And I showed him, do you want? And he said, yes. Oh, I was thinking like that also can, you know. I should keep this tissue paper and frame it up. <laughs> now eventually he became uh, my children's godfather. And along those years, he revealed to me once that the time that he came to church, he was giving God and himself a last chance. He felt that his life didn't have meaning 
And since it didn't have meaning, why should he continue to live? And again, you know, who knows except God? And so that is why this part about grieving the spirit, quenching the spirit is important as part of this spirit-filled life. As we come to the end, um, you're going to get this slide so you don't need to take picture, okay? I don't have a lot of time, but it'll be on our website next week. Essentially, it's just a, a table to summarize what it means. I give you one second to take picture, but you'll get it on the website, okay? One. Okay. <laughs> to be filled with the Spirit, really, the difference is you control to be filled, but you want to continue this feeling to maintain it, we walk. So that's the difference between the two concepts. To grieve is horizontal relationship, quench is vertical relationship. So all these three things makes up filling of the Spirit. It's not more of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit moving, having more of us by yielding to the Spirit, through depending on the Spirit, responding to His leading, and not living in deliberate sins. And this statement summarizes the four imperatives of how we should respond the Spirit's work. So we come to the end of our journey series, the first part of it. There are a lot of things we wish we could say, but given the context, the time, we cannot. But these are some things that we must bear in mind as part of what QBC is about as we talk about being a Spirit-filled, fervently praying church. First, the goal. We must not lose sight of the goal, and that is holiness. We are called righteous, and we are positionally called saints, holy. But God gives us the responsibility to grow to grow in holiness while on this earth. And the presupposition, the triune identity is who we are. We cannot forget this. Otherwise, we'll be discouraged and wonder what is this whole thing about. In Christ, we've been made holy. In Christ, we've been called righteous. We are children of the Father. We will not lose our identity and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells in us and gives us the intimacy with God. We cannot lead our Christian lives without the Holy Spirit. And apart from what the Holy Spirit does for us, eventually we need to respond. And out of the 400 over verses of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, only four are imperatives that we need to respond, which is walk, fill, walk, grieve not, quench not. And that is what it is about. I like the Andrew's story which I've shared before. I love it because um, it just reminds me of of um, Walking in the Spirit. You know, many years ago when I first went to Dallas Seminary, I just touched down, I drove to another state to look for a friend. He worships at, at this, uh, this, this, this Chinese church, which is uh, Pentecostal. So after, you know, usually there after the worship, we sit down for a meal. I was sitting with this elderly lady from, from Taiwan, and she asked me, what am I doing here? I said, oh, I'm going to study in seminary. She said, oh, which one? I said, Dallas, you know. And she said, oh, Dallas, you're not very open to the Holy Spirit. And I was like, What? So what? What do you mean I'm not open, you know? I spend so much money to go to Dallas because he has the best Greek and Hebrew faculty in the world. I don't know the Holy Spirit. You don't know the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, I didn't say it, right? I just... <laughs> but I was flawed. I was like, what? And then I began my journey of thinking about the Holy Spirit. And I have to admit, right? Part of my spiritual formation, that has been a blind spot. Now, does it mean I've gone to the other end and dropped off the cliff? No. But I do realize the importance of pursuing godliness by the help of the empowerment of the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. And so someone once asked Neil Moody, are you filled with the Spirit? And he says, yes. But he said this, I am filled with the Spirit, but I leak. 
And I love the story because if you ask me now, am I filled with the Spirit? I'll say yes. But friends, I leak. Every day of my life, I leak. But it's okay because of what the Holy Spirit has done for me. That I continue to pursue this journey to be filled with the Spirit. These are some questions that you can share about. Um, you may now go and break up into your groups.